Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, that can be found on page 956. Again, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. This is Jesus instructing his disciples before his betrayal. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. It is good to see everybody here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we extend a special welcome to you and hope that you will stay after a little bit and let us get to meet you and uh, get to know you a little bit. It has been a tremendous week here at Mount Juliet. We started this past week with the kids going to camp. Over 90 kids went to camp up at western Kentucky, just north of, uh, in Marion, Kentucky. And uh, we had a wonderful camp. The curriculum was good. The kids were good. Uh, we appreciate Phil so much and the, what he does with our young people. And we're excited to have our two interns, Dustin and Christy, here with us this summer to work with our young people as well. Then yesterday, we kicked off our stateside mission trip in Dayton. Fifty-six of our members from Mount Juliet here traveled two and a half hours to Dayton, and they'll stay there till Wednesday. Some of them will be coming back tonight. But they'll stay there knocking doors, setting up Bible studies, trying to spread the gospel to the people of Dayton. And I'd ask that you would continue to be prayerful for their efforts, not only for their safety, but for the hearts that they're about to reach and run into that uh, they will be receptive to the gospel. Six of our elders are down there with them. And isn't it wonderful to be in a congregation that is mission-minded? Mission-minded not just for foreign fields, but for here at home and for our neighbors as well. Uh, we are truly blessed here at Mount Juliet. Our text this morning, as has been read, is uh, John 15. John 15, verses 1 through 6. If you knew today was your last day here on earth, how would it change you? Imagine this. You know today is your last day. You've got gathered around you all the people that you love. What would you want to say to them? What would you want to leave with them? What words of wisdom would you want to leave for them? Knowing that today was the last day you would see them this side of eternity. I find it interesting at camp that so many of you parents went to so much trouble to make your children feel comfortable at camp. Many of our young men opened up their suitcases to notes of encouragement from home. One of them had a note on his toothpaste that said, don't forget to brush your teeth. One of them, the mother went through and marked every bottle in his his suitcase, put shampoo on the shampoo bottle. On the aloe vera bottle, there was a note that said, if you get in the sun and get sunburned, put this on. And this was our high school guys. I can only imagine what the uh, younger uh, campers' parents did. 
And I wouldn't embarrass these guys to call them out who got these notes. But one of them even had a bag of candy from his mother, apparently his favorite candy. Inside was a note that said, You are my sunshine, S-O-N, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. And I wouldn't embarrass the young man that uh, received that note, but I will say this, Lisa McIndoo has very pretty handwriting. (laughs) But I say that to lightheartedly make the point, our kids were going away for four or five days, and you took these pains to see that they were comfortable, to leave a note of encouragement with them. If you knew today was the last day, this side of eternity, that you would see them, what would you say to them? What would you leave with them? This is the situation we see Jesus in, in John 15. You see, the latter part of his ministry, he's been telling his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. And when we go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to rise again on the third day. In fact, if you look over at Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26 Verses 1 through 3 says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that in two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus told his disciples his death was imminent. So we see Jesus, the last day that he's with his disciples. He's in the upper room with them. He's having the last supper, the last meal that he'll have with his disciples. And we don't have a lot of time to go into the lessons of the upper room. But just to to, uh, look at it very briefly, Jesus is in the upper room observing the Passover feast with his disciples. And there's some points that he makes in the upper room before he gets to the vineyard in John 15. First off, we know the story. Jesus teaches his disciples the importance of service. John 13, verse 2 through 19, tells us the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. After the supper was over, it says he girded himself with a towel and began to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus wanted to leave with them that service and humility are important. Secondly, in that upper room, we see that Jesus teaches them that love is important. If you look at John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. On that last night in that upper room, Jesus taught them not only that service and humility was important, but that love for one another was important as well. He also taught them that love for Him was important. John 14, verse 15 Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then also in verse 21, he that keepeth, hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus taught that love for one another was important, and love for him was important. Thirdly, in that upper room, Jesus taught them of the hope that they had in him. John 14, verse 25 through 27, Jesus told them that they would have hope of help while they were here. He told them of the comforter that would come. The Father would send the Holy Spirit to lead them into truth and and, uh, refresh all the things that He had taught them. They were going to have hope of a helper here. But not only hope here, Jesus taught them of the hope that they had in the life hereafter. 
John 14, verse 1 through 3. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus taught them of the hope of the life hereafter and the home we could have with him. Those are the lessons from the upper room. Jesus taught them about service. He taught them about love and he taught them about hope. And from that point on, Jesus gathers his band of 11. Judas has already left to betray him. And John 14, verse 31, the very last verse of John 14, the last phrase, Jesus says, Arise and let us go from hence. Now we know that Jesus left the upper room and he went to ultimately the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Up on your screen, we have a map of Jerusalem in the Old Testament times. If you look down in the bottom left-hand corner, there's a one there with a marker. It points to where the upper room was in the city of Jerusalem. Up on the right-hand side, about midway, you'll see a marker with the number two. That's the Mount of Olives. Jesus passed through it, going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then number three points out the Garden of Gethsemane. Imagine this picture in your mind. Jesus is walking from the upper room to this area. It's the time of the Passover, which means it would have been a full moon. A full moon would have been out. As Jesus is walking with his band of 11, he comes across one of the many vineyards around Jerusalem. And Jesus, being the master teacher he is, stops to make one more object lesson to his disciples. One more lesson that he can leave with them, the final lesson that he'll leave with them before his crucifixion. He stops and we can almost see him bending down as he says in front of a, a, a vine, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Look again at our text, John 15, verse 1 through 6. He said, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into fire, and they are burned. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman, the vine dresser. Now we need to stop right here and note, there's only one reason a farmer plants a crop. There's only one reason why any of you would go out and toil and plant and work in a garden. There's only one reason a vine dresser tends to a vineyard, and that is to produce the biggest, most abundant crop possible. Jesus said, my father is the vine dresser. And we say, Jesus, how does he go about tending to the vine? How does he go about tending to the branches? We understand that his purpose is to bring about the greatest crop, the greatest harvest possible. Look at that first phrase in verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Friends, I've read this passage for years and studied this passage and never fully understood what Jesus was saying here. In my mind, as I would read through that, I would think, if you don't bear fruit, you get lopped off and, and he takes it away. 
But I don't believe that's what Jesus is, is saying here. Look, if you will, at a couple of verses. That, te- that um, uh, verb there, he taketh away, that actually comes from the Greek word aero, A-I-R-O, which means to lift up or to raise up, to take up. Let's look at a couple of verses where this is used in the New Testament, and maybe we can get a better understanding of what Jesus was teaching here with the vine and the branches. Look at Matthew 14, verse 20. This is where Jesus fed the 5,000. He had five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000. Verse 20 tells us, So they all ate and were filled, and they, here's our word, they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. It's the idea of, of taking up. Matthew 27, verse 32. This is when Jesus is going to be crucified, and he falters beneath the weight of the cross. And there's a man there of Cyrene, Simon by name, it says, He they compelled to bear, here's our word, to bear his cross, to take up, to raise, to carry. And then finally, these are just a few of the verses where this word is used. John 5, verse 8. This is the man where Jesus is healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. And he says to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. In order for us to understand fully what Jesus was teaching here, I think it's important we understand a little bit about how vines grow and vine dressing. You see, it was the Passover season, and during that early part of the year, these vines would have been shooting out new growth uh, from the vine. The problem is, that new growth has a tendency to spiral downward. And when it gets down near the ground, the dust from the row, and when it rains, the mud that flops up on it, gets that leaf dirty. And when that leaf is dirty, there's no way it can get the nutrients from the sun. So that branch is never going to produce fruit because it can't get the nutrients it needs to grow and to produce fruit. What vine dressers will do during this time is they will actually go through the vineyard looking for these vines, these branches. They'll go with a bucket of water and when they see one, they'll kneel down and they'll raise that branch up. They'll wash it off. And then they'll train it to grow up the trellis and grow upward. You know, we as humans are a lot the same way. There's times when we allow sin in our life and we have a tendency to spiral downward. We have a tendency to let sin in because, as was prayed, we're a soul in a carnal body. And there's a war that goes on. And sometimes we allow sin to come in. And the Father sees us because when there's sin in our life, we can't produce the fruit that He's wanting us to bear. When we allow sin in our life, we can't be the Christian fruit-bearing branch that He wants us to be. And so just like that vine dresser, He'll raise us up. That won't be a comfortable thing all the time. That That branch has been used to growing downward. You have to raise it up gently and get it to grow in a position that it's not been growing before. You have to train it to grow upward the same way our Heavenly Father takes us. And He raises us up and He teaches us to grow upward away from sin. Friends, that's not always pleasant. Look over at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, it says, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. 
God disciplines those who he loves. Is it a pleasant thing? Look at the rest of that verse. And scourges every son he receives. That word scourges means to bring intense pain. It's not always pleasant to be chastened by the Lord. Later in Hebrews 12, verse 11, it says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, look at this, afterward, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Just like the vine dresser trains, lifts that, vine, that branch up and trains it to go up on the trellis. Scripture tells us that God chastens us till we get sin out of our life. And He trains us to grow and produce that, that peaceable fruit of righteousness. So we see that if we're not producing fruit, God is going to chasten us to get sin out of our lives. And that's important for me to know because there's sometimes when I'm going through difficulties in my life, I'm going through trials in my life, I'm having problems, and I need to step back and say, is this the Lord chastening me? Is there something in my life that needs to change? Is there sin in my life that I need to to get away from? I'm not suggesting to you that every problem we have in life is because God is chastening us. But I am suggesting to you that when problems come into our life, when trials come into our life, we need to step back and see if there's changes that we need to make, if God is trying to teach us and trying to chasten us. Look at John 15, verse 3. This verse never made much sense to me until I realized what Jesus was teaching here. John 15, verse 3 says, Jesus said to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We say, Lord, how are you going to clean us? How are you going to raise us up and wash us off? He said, you're clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. You see, God's word is what shows us what righteousness is. God's word shows us how we're to live. God's word shows us how to be in that right relationship with him so that we can be clean and we can grow in the way that he wants us to grow and produce fruit. Now look back at the second part of verse 2. We've looked at the first part, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so I'm a Christian. I'm bearing fruit for the Lord. What can I expect? Jesus said every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. Well, how's that done? Many of you that have gardens are very familiar with the process of pruning, or fruit trees. A tomato plant comes up, and it has the branches on it, and it has the little sucker shoots, they call them. And you'll take and you'll pinch them off, because you don't want the nutrients from the plant going to the sucker shoots. You want it going to the tomato to make a good, ripe, big harvest of tomatoes. Same way with the vines. They will cut tremendous amount of the foliage off of the vine so that the sunlight can get to the fruit and the nourishments can get to the, to the fruit to produce a good harvest. Jesus says, if we're bearing fruit, God is going to prune us so that we may bear more fruit. Well, what's that involve in the life of a Christian? Pruning involves cutting away lesser commitments, lesser priorities, in order that we may be more fruitful in the work of God. It's the idea of less of me 
and more of Him. Changing my priorities and my commitments to God's priorities and His commitments. Taking time away from what I want to do and putting it in time to work in the kingdom. We're going to be pruned if we're producing fruit for Christ. So we see, in order for us to be productive branches, in order for us to produce a plentiful harvest, sin must go out of our life. Self must go out of our life. And then thirdly, in John 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Jesus teaches us thirdly that we need to abide in him and let him abide in us. Abiding in Jesus is, requires discipline on our part. It's saying, Lord, I want to follow after you. Lord, I want to be in your word and know what your, your will is for me. Lord, I want to conform my life to what you would have me do. I want to abide, make my abode, make my life in you. The second part of that is Christ abiding in us. That's something we have to allow as well. Christ abiding in us has the idea of dependency. It's the idea of saying, Lord, I want you in my life. I want you to be a part of my life. And when you come into my life, you're in control. I'm no longer in control. You're in control. Abiding in Christ and allowing Christ to abide in us deals with discipline and dependence. So we see in order for us to have a plentiful harvest, number one, sin must go out of our life. Number two, self must go out of our life. And number three, we need to abide in Christ and He in us. You see the picture of Jesus kneeling down with that vine, and that vine is coming up, and off of it is a healthy branch. The most important part of that healthy branch is right there where the branch meets the vine. It's right there that that branch will receive every nutrient that it needs to grow and to produce a harvest. Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you. And we'll have that nutrients, we'll have that substance we need to produce a tremendous harvest. But finally, if you will, look at John 15, verse 6. John 15, verse 6, Jesus says, If any man abide not in me. What's that, Lord? If any man abide not in me if he severs that connection with the vine, if he decides he don't want to live in Christ, if any man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. That shows the picture of someone who has chosen to walk away from Christ, someone who has chosen to not be a part of Christ as the true vine. And Jesus says, in the end, they'll be gathered and burned. Friends, what kind of branches are we as individuals? Christ is the true vine. We're the branches. What kind of branch are we for Christ? As the Father comes through and looks at the branches, what stage are we in? 
Do we have sin in our life that we need to relinquish so that we can start bearing fruit for Him? Are we bearing fruit, but yet we're so tied up in mundane things of this world that we just don't have the time and don't have uh, opportunity, you don't make opportunity to uh, produce fruit for Him? What kind of branches are we being? God's Word tells us how we abide in Christ, how we get into that situation to abide in Him. We have to believe that Jesus is the true vine, the Son of God. We have to repent of our sins. There it is, taking sin out of our life. We have to confess Him before men, and then we have to convert our will to His will and be buried with Him in baptism and rise up a new creature. There's getting rid of self. It's no longer me running my life. It's no longer what I want. It's Christ's priorities and what He wants in my life. And then we rise and walk that new life and we abide in Christ. And we allow Him to abide in our life. And we can produce tremendous harvest for our Heavenly Father. If you're here this morning and are not in Christ... What a beautiful way to begin abiding in Christ, beginning that walk with Him, beginning that process that will bring about a tremendous harvest in your life. If you're a branch in Christ and yet you've allowed yourself to spiral downward and you've got sin that you need to relinquish, friend, I would beg you to relinquish that. Let God chasten you and bring you back and train you to grow, to be able to produce fruit for His glory. If the sins of a public nature and you need the prayers of the church, we are uh, more than willing and ready to pray with you and pray for you. If we can help you in any way, we ask that you come 